Hey, honey, do you know what is the foundational behavior in our life? I feel for building any connection, communication is important. What else? Accountability is important. Or oh, probably, I think trust is the most important element for any connection, isn't it? Bang on. I also agree with you that trust is the foundational behavior for any connection in life. And you know today who we have with us. We have somebody very special who has first-hand experience about cultivating cultures of commitment, accountability, and trust through his military career that has spanned more than two decades. He is a highly sought-after keynote speaker, author, and a professional pilot. And he is graduate of United States Air Force Academy and still continues to serve as a reservist. And he is a person who lives the message of trust and ownership every day with all his people from stage to dining table. He loves cooking. He shows his commitment to build trust with his daddy daughter donor Dave from Fridays as well. I am actually very excited to hear from him his story about trust, ownership and living it all. So, so let's fight. Lieutenant Colonel Jason Harris on our next episode of your, your story. story. Your your hey, welcome Jason to Your Story, Your Glory, our podcast where we share inspiring stories and definitely today we have an amazing opportunity to hear from you, your amazing story and the way you have been inspiring millions of people. Welcome, welcome Jason. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that. So Jason, while we start your story. I think of as a child, I used to look at the aircraft and I used to think that one day I will travel across the world in this plane, right? Well, what did you used to say? Uh, did you ever dreamt of flying an aircraft as a combat pilot or you wanted to travel? Growing up, I, I, I would get an opportunity to fly to visit my, my grandmother, fly to visit my father, fly to visit other family. And it was never something that I dreamed about doing. Flying airplanes was never something that I got excited about. I didn't look up at the sky and go, oh, that's possible. And the reason why was because of how I grew up. You know, I grew up in the inner city streets of Oakland, California. We came from very humble beginnings. There was no no awareness to me that it was even possible. You know, a lot of people, they talk about, you can't dream it if you can't see it. And I never saw anyone that looked like me flying airplanes. And it was never anything that I was introduced to as a child, as a young person. I don't recall ever anyone saying, hey, when you grow up, you can be a pilot. I went to college thinking that I would go off to college to be a lawyer or just that I was going to be, you know, a maintenance officer in the Air Force or maybe a security forces officer. Never in a million years did I think that flying airplanes would be what was going to be the job that propelled me to be where I'm at today. And so, you know, and it, and it shocks a lot of people because they go, man, you must have wanted to fly since you were a kid. And I was like, actually, no. I stumbled upon it sort of by accident, sort of by, by divine intervention, so to speak. But it was not something that I grew up wanting to do. And it was not something that I dreamed about as a kid. 
what I dreamed about as a kid was being successful. And I had to figure out what it success really means. And then even now I continue to ask myself, what does success really mean? Does it mean what someone else says or is it what I define success is? So Jason, when we go through any experience, every experience is a learning in some way or other. And when you led your first combat mission in US Air Force, what was your first lesson learned in that experience? You know, when I, when I go back and I have to review all of the combat missions that I've flown. And so to think and ask the question, what was the first lesson that becomes very challenging. And the reason I say that is because the first time I flew in combat was in 2003. You know, I showed up to my base as a brand new co-pilot flying the C-130 in July of 2003. And less than a month later, I was out of the door going to go fly in combat. And so that very first mission that we flew in combat in 2003, we actually got, we left IUD Qatar. We got all the way up to the border of Iraq. And as we got to the border of Iraq, we had a, we had a malfunction with one of our engines. We had some injure, uh, engine oil pressure issues. And so literally right as we're at the border of Iraq, we had to shut down one of our engines and turn around and go back to the base. And so we could not complete our mission for that day. And on that mission, all I recall was I was so nervous and I was so full of anxiety. And I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know, am I going to be shot at today? Is the day of the day that I might die? There were all of these things that were bubbling up inside of me that I was trying to figure out. And I was trying to answer while I was also trying to do my job. And you have a combat crew of six people there that are with you. So it's me and five other people. And we have a mission to go out there and do. And here it is. We're almost about to get to do our mission. And then we have to turn back because we had a malfunction. Now, keep in mind, that malfunction could have caused us to actually um, have to deal with life and death decisions. Because when you lose an engine, it's not good. It's a four-engine airplane. And now you're down one engine. And when I reflect and review on that first combat mission, amidst all the anxiety, amidst all of the chaos that might have been happening, what I realized is that when you go into combat, when you go into chaos, whether that's in life, in business, with your family, in the military, whatever the case may be, when you have the right training, when you have the right processes and you validate that that training works, you validate that those processes actually work and they actually support the training, doesn't matter the level of anxiety, doesn't matter the level of, of chaos, you can execute the mission. And then the other piece of that is, is not only is the training important, not only is the process that supports that training that enables you to empower the people to do the mission, most importantly is who do you surround yourself with? My crew is able to say, hey, Jason, it's okay, calm down. This is no big deal. Wow. We shut engines down regularly. Don't worry about it. Hey, Jason, you did a great job. Hey, Jason, like everything textbook in terms of handling that emergency situation, textbook in terms of going into combat. You know, my digestive system was a little out of out of sorts that day because I was nervous and anxious. And my navigator, he looks over and he says, hey, man, take this. You'll be fine. And literally, I was good to go until we landed. And then, you know, everything else happened. But the fact that I was surrounded by the right people and they made certain to reassure me that my training and my processes were good. And that empowered me to actually go into combat, not 
not being overcome by the anxiety. It doesn't mean the anxiety goes away, but I was not overcome by the anxiety. I was not overcome by the chaos and the stress of this being my first combat mission. So that, that's what I would kind of say that the lesson for me is when I go back in retrospect and review how I felt that day. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think these kind of situations we face every day in our world. That was in the mi combat mission, but anxiety, challenges, and how do we handle and what kind of people we surround with that defines our success at that point of time. Fantastic. Yeah. So Jason, I remember when I first talked to you in 2019, uh, we were sitting on a, a lunch table and I asked you, what do you speak on? And you said, uh, my brand is No Fail Trust. Uh, I, I also read that No Fail Trust is your philosophy, approach and methodology. And then I also read about No Fail Ownership. Now, which life story or a particular event established these two mantras for you? Or is there any specific event which defined that, oh, these are the things I need to pick up and deliver my message to the world? You know, um, when, I, when I think through kind of the methodology, how I came up with it, what helped me to define it, it's really all of the experiences that I had throughout my military career and then they also became applicable as I was talking to other people. And so it's not that it was one particular event. There were multiple events that happened over the course of time. And there are things that continue to happen that allows me to be comfortable in, in that methodology, that allows me to reinforce what that methodology is. You know, when you have an organization and you have people that are doing things, everyone has a role to play. And, you know, it's like when I'm in that airplane, no matter what, whether it's a commercial airline or the military, I know what my role is as the pilot. But everyone else on that crew, they have a role to play. Everyone else in the organization, they have a role to play. And I need to ensure that I can trust them to deliver on what they say they can deliver on. No matter what, no matter what's going on, no matter what time of day, like no matter what's happening, no matter the amount of chaos, I need to ensure that they can deliver. And I, as I looked through all of my experiences, what I realized was, again, it was that training that we had in the military. In an organization, those who have high-performing teams and in any organization, the, the, the training is the foundation that allows people to know you can do the job. Once you have that training, you back it up with a process, you validate all of that, yes. then you can say, I'm not worried about, can you do the job? I'm not worried about, will you do the job? I know that when things happen, you will be able to deliver. And so it was me just really kind of taking all of that that I'd gone through, taking all of that that I learned and putting it in a concise format to help people understand how we can do our jobs in the military, how we fly planes the way we do in the airlines. How do we fly planes from point A to point B? You know, the, the reality is, is what a lot of people don't know is that when you fly an airplane in the commercial airlines, there are days that I've shown up I've never been to the location. I've never met the other pilot before a day in my life. I don't know who any of the 300 people are in the back of the airplane. I don't know any of the flight attendants. Here's the thing. I can 100% trust that that other pilot or other group of pilots that they're going to do their job. I can 100 trust that those flight attendants that they are going to do their jobs in safety and care of the passengers. And the passengers are going to get from point A to point B safely. And that's all because the foundation of the training and the process has been put in place. We've been empowered and we go out and accomplish that mission. So there's not one particular event, Deepak. 
it's really a series of events that have happened. And when I begin to put it together, that's what I came up with. It is no fail trust that no matter what happens, you're going to be able to execute that. That no fail trust ownership, that person who's in that organization, who's on that team, they're not worried about all the external pieces of the puzzle. They know that they have a job to do and they will execute it and they own their piece of the puzzle. They own their training. They own their process. They own what their role is in that team. And if we all take up that slice of ownership, that no-fail ownership, that I cannot fail you. I cannot fail to deliver for Deepak. I cannot fail to deliver for Honey. I cannot fail to deliver for the organization. And if we all come to the table with a level of ownership that I will not fail you, then we have organizationally a level of no-fail trust where we will do nothing but succeed. Yeah, I think uh, it's a very rightly said because ownership always follows the strong trust and bond uh, among teammates. If you don't have trust, people will not take ownership. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, especially in the world of social influence, different dynamics, people looking for quick successes, it's not that difficult to say that it's actually difficult to trust. So I, I completely agree with you with the series of experiences that you had, which gave you the belief and no fail trust and no fail ownership. Uh, I would like to know more, how do you create the parallel and connect these two different worlds to bring home the message, which is not easy nowadays. I mean, and, and I would like to add what Hani is saying is, uh, yes, of course, in uh, the real, in your world where you are flying aeroplane and or an aircraft and, or a combat mission, there is no option uh, to unless you have trust each other. But in the corporate world, the uh, the risks are not that high. Okay, uh, the stakes are not that high, and that's why I see both me and Honey. We have trained. I think we've been training for last fifteen years, and we always talk about trust and communication and ownership. But organizations still struggle with the problem. So here's here's the thing. I would disagree, Deepak. The stakes and the risk are just as high in corporate America as they are in that airplane. They might not be as immediate yeah. because you're not traveling at 500 miles an hour yeah. in, in the middle of the night. However, the stakes are just as high because if the people in an organization don't deliver, then the organization begins, their profitability begins to go down. And as we all know, when profitability goes down, our bottom line gets destroyed. And then we have to start looking at downsizing, that really feared word. Mm -hmm. We have to begin to look at who's going to lose their job. Yes. And so now when people start losing their jobs because people are not performing, because they're not taking ownership, because we don't have trust throughout an organization, now it's life and death. You can't take care of your family. You don't have a home for your family. And everything else that comes as a result of that lack of trust in an organization, that lack of unity in an organization, that lack of collective agreement to, to, to deliver on what we say we're going to deliver on, right? And so really, it's just as critical. It just doesn't happen as quickly. And so, yes, honey, trust is very hard to get to. Most people, they come into it and they just say, trust me, and here's the thing. You know, and there's different types of trust. There's a level of trust that when you get hired by an organization, you say as the employer, I'm going to trust you employee to do your job. And then I will in turn pay you 
And then the employee says, hey, I'm going to sign on the dotted line with you company. And I'm going to trust that if I do my job, then you will pay me. So we have an equal level of trust. That's pretty easy. That's a really basic, simple level of trust. But to do what we're talking about, the no-fail ownership, no-fail trust, to do that, we need to actually get to a different kind of trust. This trust, it starts with, you know, there's an interpersonal trust. Can I trust you as a person? And then can I trust you to do the job? Yeah. And so in the, in the context of what we're talking about here, to get to that level of trust, it starts with creating commit or, uh, connection. Yeah. You don't create connection with people until you first communicate with them. So we have to we have to do our part to communicate with people. Once we communicate with people, we create a connection. Once we create a connection, we then move from connection to accountability. It's a mutual level of accountability. Once we get past accountability, that's when we get to trust. So connection, account, or connection to commitment, accountability, then to trust. That's where we have to build this thing through. And no, it's not easy because now we have to communicate. Now we have to figure out how do we create a connection. Now we have to figure out what do we need to be accountable for? What do I want you to be accountable for? What do I need you to be accountable for? And how do you become accountable? I can tell you that I'm empowering you all day long, but if I don't tell you or give you the tools to do the job, then that empowerment is nothing more than words that are meaningless with nothing to back it up. Yeah. So in organizations, we can get to trust, but we have to put in the work to get to that level of trust. And if I, as a team member, want you to trust me, I have to put in the work and own my training. As long as you provide it to me as an employer or as a team leader, then it's my job to ensure that I get the training and that I process and that I leverage that training. It's my job to make sure that I understand the processes that supports that training. It's your job as the leader to make sure that I have the right training, that I have the foundation. And that's where we begin to build up that level of trust. That's where you get that accountability. And that's how you get to no fail trust in an organization and on a team. Amazing, Jason, amazing. So uh, what I hear, everything starts with the connection, right? And that's where probably the foundation lies for the employer, for the employee, for anyone, like in our personal life also. I think the very first element is connection, right? Absolutely. And I think there's uh, now what I heard from Jason is there's only one small difference between flying a combat uh, aircraft and running a corporate organization is the consequences in there is immediate. And here the consequences comes to a little later, but there are consequences of similar nature. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and the reality is, is that with those consequences not being immediate, unfortunately, a lot of people will actually avoid communication, which therefore negates the ability to connect yeah. and move towards trust because they just say, well, I don't want to have that conversation or, well, we don't need to talk right now yeah. because like you said, the consequences are not immediate, yeah. but they're insidious. Yes. You can still die uh, uh, and have something catastrophic happen, but it happens insidiously. It happens very slowly over time. You know, there's that, that, that idiom that says death by a thousand cuts, yeah. <laughs> a thousand small paper cuts. And eventually you're going to die. Yes. Yes, you're right, yeah. But I have an interesting element coming to my head, Jason. I'm very sure that flying is fun, exciting. And from your stories of combat operations, I'm very sure it would have been fulfilling as well, right? But tell me, what did 
actually trigger you to take your stories from the sky to the stage i mean and connected with the corporate people what was that trigger um excellent question you know the the idea for taking those stories from what i've experienced to the stage was uh, over the course of a series of events and learning about who i was and learning about where my skill set lied and learning about where my true talent and passion was at and so I've always had a talent and passion for helping people and making an impact and making a difference. And as I started getting involved in sharing stories, I found that people would actually tell me that they were learning stuff from them. And then I realized that I was able to take what I learned over the course of my career and some of the things that I continue to learn as I continue to serve uh, in the military and continue to fly airplanes commercially, I continue to take those stories and figure out how do I translate them? You know, the, the reality is, is kind of like you said, initially people think that business and flying planes are different. When in actuality, they're very similar. We just have to reframe how we look at it. And some people will look at certain aspects of business as very boring because it's insidious, it's slow. And they think that it has no application or they don't know how to make it exciting. And so for me, I recognize that people find flying exciting. People find it very intriguing. So how do I take something that's exciting and intriguing and bring it down to a level of, of understanding so that I can then help people to recognize what they can do to create a high performance team, what they can do to create an organization, a culture of commitment, accountability, and trust, similar to what we do in the military, similar to what we do in, in, in the airlines in that industry. And that was the driver to make me want to figure out how do I really package this in a way where people can understand it, where they can now apply some of the lessons. They, they, you get excited to go watch airplanes fly. People get excited. They go to air shows. No one goes to a show to watch people do paperwork. No <laughs> one goes to a show to watch people do a Zoom call, right? Yeah. There's nothing exciting about that. Yeah. But what's exciting is, is when we start figuring out how do we come together and how do we work? How do we connect with each other? How do we ensure that we create a psychologically safe environment? How do we ensure that we create an environment where people feel like they belong? How do we create that culture where people really want to be there so it's actually not boring? And so that was, that's been the driver for me to want to really connect these two different things that seem very different, but yet they're very much alike. And that, that's been the driver. Wonderful. Uh, Deepak, did you hear that you should actually understand where your true passion lies? And I'm that's really important. Uh, Jason, uh, both Honey and me believe very strongly in uh, this one word called Guru. Okay? Uh, guru, Guru. Guru is a Sanskrit word. In, in English, we call it mentor. And I'm sure when you were in Air Force, must have a, somebody who has really inspired you or mentored you on your journey of becoming a combat uh, pilot. And I'm sure somebody must have mentored you or uh, guided you on your journey on the stage too. We would love to uh, hear from you and uh, how did they impacted your life? Well, that's a, that's a loaded question, Deepak. Um, and I say that because I've had so many mentors in my, on, on my journey. Um, you know, I still have mentors that I talk to today and, and I don't take it lightly when someone approaches me and asks me to be a mentor. And I, and I love that you gave me the origin of that word mentor, that the Sanskrit word is guru, because I think people have begun to misuse that word guru, and they truly don't understand what it means to be a guru, that it means to be a mentor. 
And so for, for me in my career, flying airplanes, I've had different people along the path. You know, I have a sticker that, that sits on my, my, my screen that talks about some of the people that believed in me, that had courage to believe in me, which allowed me to believe that it was possible. You know, there were people that when I was in middle school, people that when I was in high school, people when I was in college, and even to this day, there are people that continue to believe in me and mentor and guide me. And then on the speaker side, you know, I have different friends, you know, John Register, I believe you know him. He's He's been a, a person who has mentored me, helped me and guide me. You know, he has been the person that really kind of pulled me into this space. And he's actually the person who helped me to formulate my signature loadmaster story where I talk about that loadmaster and them telling me to go around and how I execute that mission. And so there's been other people in the speaking industry that has really helped me. And, and, and at times I try not to call too many names because if I call too many names and someone might get offended that I forgot their name. <laughs> and so I'm not dodging the question, um, but I'm being very thoughtful and mindful. One of the things that I will say is that I recently wrote a book, co-authored a book with four other Air Force pilots, four other people who are phenomenal, who are amazing. And that book is called Aiming Higher. Um, and it's a, you know, a, a military aviation leadership journey. And, and as we look in that book, and, and I didn't give you the exact title, and I apologize. It's, it's not right in front of me, and I don't remember it. I got a bunch of things rolling through my head, but, but I can give it to you in a moment. But when I look at that book and what we were able to put together Five people came together, five professional military pilots, five people that are doing completely different things. But really, the, the premise of that book was mentoring each other, surrounding wow. yourself with the right people, right? You know, um, Jim Rohn said, you're the, the product of the five people you spend the most time around. And so we came together and we said, how do we support each other? How do we help each other? And then how do we share messages that we've learned along the way from the people that have mentored us, from people we've mentored, from people that have coaches, people that we've coached, and how do we give that information back to other people so that they can take it and leverage it for themselves, so that they can go and find the right mentor, so that they can ensure that they are being the right mentor. For me, mentorship is so powerful. I, I literally, I wouldn't be flying airplanes were it not for mentors like the original Tuskegee Airmen. They told me what it was like to go through that experiment and that experience as they were learning how to fly airplanes as the first black pilots in the United States Air Force. Other mentors along the journey that, that have helped me to, to realize what's possible. And then mentors like some of my best friends that, that say, you know, when I tell them I, I couldn't dream of this as a child, and then that friend who's also a, a mentor says, it's okay now to have new dreams. So it then opens up my mind and my aperture to realize I've gotten to a place I never dreamed of as a child. And now that I'm here, keep dreaming, dream bigger dreams, right? He's that one person who teaches me how to dream. You know, my wife is a mentor. At times she helps to mentor and guide me on, on the things that I should be considering as I, as I manage the different careers that I have and helps to mentor and guide me to be a better spouse, to be a better partner, to be a better father. So there are mentors all around us. And the, and the reality is a lot of us, we don't look to those people as mentors, but we're surrounded by mentors, good and bad. So who you surround yourself with will dictate your success and failure in this lifetime. 
the community that you surround yourself will dictate the success and failure in this lifetime. And I've been beyond blessed and super grateful to be surrounded by some of the smartest, most brilliant people in the world, um, be mentored by them, given correction when I need correction because I'm susceptible to screwing something up. And then I don't take it lightly when someone approaches me or I realize that they're wanting, asking and needing me to be their mentor. You know, I can't mentor everyone, but when it's presented to me for the right reasons, for the right person, I don't take it lightly. Because like you said, Deepak, you are that person's guru. You're the person that they are going to look to to help give them wisdom and guidance for their life. You could change someone's entire life by something simple that you say or something simple that you don't say. Absolutely. And uh, when you talk about guru, and uh, I remember, I always tell people the meaning of the guru is just to share with you. Gu is darkness, Ru is dispelling the darkness. So basically, uh, somebody who helps you dispel the darkness, mentors are the one whenever we go with things which we are not clear about and they will say one sentence and you are like, oh my God, yes, I see it. You know? Right. And sometimes, uh, as they say, there are people whom we learn off stage and on stage without even talking to them. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, they are also the mentors. You know, I remember when I went to, uh, in 2018, I went to my first Toastmasters International Conference. And uh, Dan Rex, the CEO of Toastmasters, he was on the stage. And he talked about, he shared one quote. And I'm going to share with you also. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Yes, I love it. And uh, and I, he repeated it. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And uh, till today, Jason, that quote is etched into my mind. Anything, I look at it, and when I'm looking at the day, I ask myself, what is my main thing for today? And what I need to focus on? So you don't know who will come for a few seconds and mentor you and will go away. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But- Another profound method, debug that I'm taking from this conversation is that your spouse, your kids, your people and you can't even expect or probably you would not uh, actually say that they are guru but in a way they have been mentoring you they have been guiding you and you never probably we never acknowledge it but Jason I love the way you have acknowledged it and uh, without taking any name you have brought a new message about the gurus in our day to daily life with our people Honey, you know how critic my daughters are for my when my, when I prepare for my speeches. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's... Oh, remove this. This is not work. This will not work. So they are like they are real mentors at home. <laughs> Absolutely, you know my my wife. Literally, I review every speech with her, and my wife she'll tell me she says I don't need to hear you speak at an event. She says I know your content because I review it with you and I hear it and we talk about it. And then she will kindly say, maybe you should think about this. Maybe you should do something different. Absolutely. And then at times my daughter will remind me, well, daddy, you actually said this. I heard your video playing when you were doing some video review and you said this, maybe daddy, you shouldn't do that because that doesn't align with what you said. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Now talking about your wife and daughter, you know, I got to know that uh, whenever you are in town and not traveling or less traveling, you try to spend your evenings with them. 
when speaking business is all about your traveling here, there, how do you manage uh, your schedule of speaking and traveling along with your family, you know? The first thing that I'll say is, is that the, you know, people ask me how I do it. You know, I, I balance my military career um, as a squadron commander for a Boeing KC-46 tanker squadron, uh, an airline job flying for American Airlines, my speaking business that is continuing to scale, filming a, a second season of a TV show and family. And I always do my best to keep family as the number one priority. And people will say, well, Jason, how do you do it? And I would be remiss if I did not initially say that the number one reason I can do that is because I have an amazing partner and an amazing spouse. She is the, the foundation. She's the backbone of our home and of our family. And she helps to give me course corrections along the way. She helps to ensure that, that I understand the purpose of all that we're doing, the purpose of all that I'm doing. And so I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge her first and foremost, because without her, I literally would not be doing these things that I get to do. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I look at like my mission, vision, purpose, value, goals as a person, the number one thing, the number one value for me is family. The number one priority is my family. And at times I've lost my way and forgot that they were supposed to be the priority. And because of the mentoring and guiding from my wife, I was able to come back to realize that it's not enough to just say it. I have to actually deliver on that. And so now I try to ensure that my actions actually support my words when I say that family is my number one priority. And so I make sure that I stay connected with my family when I'm on the road. You know, one of the things that I do with my daughter is we do daddy-daughter donut dates. And this started when she was about two years old. And so on Fridays when I'm at home, we'll go get donuts as a family. Sometimes it's just my daughter and I, but it's become a family thing and it's become a tradition. Well, if I'm on the road on Fridays, I obviously can't go to a donut shop. So then I was, I was out at a client event um, last year and I realized, wait, Technology is amazing. You could still stay connected, not only via text message or a video call, you got DoorDash. So literally I dialed up DoorDash and I says, hey, I want a half dozen of donuts sent to them at the house in the morning so she can have a donut before she goes to school. <laughs> so it's, the, it's those little things like that, that we have to take a moment to step back and slow down to realize the things we can do as busy people that are traveling on the road to stay connected to our families. You know, my daughter says, Daddy, you should get Bitmoji so we can communicate that way. Honey, fantastic. And then when I got home, she says, Daddy, can I design your Bitmoji because I didn't like what you did? Sure. Here's my phone. And she promptly went in and readjusted my Bitmoji. And she actually did a really good job, right? And so we communicate that way. And she, you know, so her and I at 70 years old, we communicate via Bitmoji, via text messaging. Sometimes I'll get up and I'll send them a video, things like that. And so again, the biggest thing for me is not just saying that family is my priority, but doing it. You know, I will actually turn down work if it impedes upon the amount of time that I've committed to being at home with my family in a month. You know, my intentions are always to, if there's 30 days in the month, I should be at home at a minimum 15 of those 30 days. Wow. And unless I've had that conversation with my wife and we've acknowledged that there's a reason for me to be gone more than that, I do my best to be home at a minimum half of the month. And then when I'm not, I make certain that we stay connected so that we can continue to have that level of accountability and that level of trust between us as a family. 
literally, the, and it sounds cliche, but the idea of no fail trust, it's not just in my work. It's not just in my business. I live it in my life every day, right? A culture of commitment, accountability, and trust. Well, I can't get that commitment. I can't get that accountability. I can't get that trust with my wife and with my daughter if I'm not creating connection, if I'm not communicating with them. So for me, communication is the heartbeat. I, I will cook dinners at home. We sit down and eat dinner at the table. We go to restaurants, we put away the technology and we just enjoy each other and enjoy communicating and connecting with each other and understanding what we're going through on a daily basis and mentoring each other in our own community called our family. Yeah, awesome. Wow, kudos to your family. I mean, like we heard a lot about your partner for her amazing support for how you are creating impact for others because you have found the balance. And uh, I particularly love the phrase daddy don't, daughter donut date you know, on Fridays. It, it sounds lovely to me. And uh, you're a donut lover. What's so special yes. about donuts? Uh, is there some special story about it? Would you like to share? Yeah, you, you know, there's nothing special about donuts other than the fact that they're donuts, honey. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, my favorite donut is maple bacon. You give me bacon on a donut with maple, I'm in love. And so really what started out, it was random. And so in 2017, I was finishing up uh, an ac advanced academic degree program and I was out in the Philadelphia area. So I had my wife and my then uh, barely two-year-old daughter. They came out. And we went to this marketplace in Philadelphia and we're hanging out, eating and whatnot, walking around. We see this donut shop. And I'm like, oh man, I want to get a donut. They just look so amazing. And so I think the place is called Reading Terminal in Philadelphia. And so we go hit this donut spot and my daughter, she's literally sitting in my lap. I have the picture still and I give her some and she just leans over and she just, she lights up on these donuts. And we're like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I didn't think much of it initially and then randomly, I was like, well, you know what? I'll take her for donuts on Fridays. That's going to be that's going to be our thing. And it, and it didn't start off as I'm committed to Fridays. It just started off as Friday. Let's go get a donut and then I'll take you to the daycare. So then what would happen is, is Fridays and we'd show up at the donut shop and the lady would just tell my daughter, come on up and pick what you want. And she'd go to the thing and she'd start picking the donuts out. And then I would buy a couple of dozen donuts for the teachers at the at her daycare. And it became this every Friday thing. My daughter would look forward to it. And we've just continued to keep that up. And what that allowed me to do, honey, was that allowed me to personally create a connection with my daughter. Yes. That allowed us to just sit there with just the two of us to communicate. Even as a child, as a toddler, she would communicate with me. Even if we're just looking at each other or she just understands that I'm there for her. That was our time to bond. That was our time to connect. It just happened to be that we did it over donuts. We could have did it any other way, but that was how we did it. And it has become something that we continue now to do because that was how we created that connection. Now there's accountability. She knows that when I'm home, dad's gonna, we're gonna go do donuts. And sometimes we do it randomly, you know, on a Saturday or Sunday, but that's kind of how it started. And so for me, that was a way to create a connection with her, a way to be able to create that level of trust that she knows that dad has got her. And so your thing for your family or your loved one, it might not be donuts, it might be something else, but I encourage everyone to find what your version of daddy-daughter donut date is. Find out what your version is to allow you to create that connection 
that leads to commitment, accountability, and trust of the people that you say you love. Don't just say you love them. Show them that you love them and create a tradition that allows you all to connect. I think that is all traditions create more uh, it, uh, strong bond in the family when you are doing actions in the process. Absolutely. I'm actually thinking of a donut date now, but yeah, before I jump onto it, uh, Jason, I know you love cooking, is it? Yes, I, I enjoy cooking very, very much. Absolutely. Uh, so cooking is actually uh, uh, said to be an art of love. It is now referred as one of the love language too. Mm. Uh, for some people, it's a therapy. For some people, it's creativity. For some people, it's relaxation. Amazing. What does it mean to you? Wow. Uh, I, I need you to repeat all those things. Like I got to write those down because literally that's what cooking is for me. So there is something therapeutic about cooking for me. You know, when I'm doing my military work, when I'm flying airplanes for the airline, and, and even sometimes when I work for clients, that is very structured work. And, and, and I don't have a time to actually veer too far off the path, depending on what I'm doing. And when I'm in the kitchen, that is like, it's like freedom for me. It's the ability for me to just be creative. It's the ability for me to do something that has absolutely nothing at all to do with what I do to earn money. And then the other part of that, the love part of that is that when I put that plate of food on the table for my family or I bake something with my, my wife, my daughter, and they love that dessert because I, I cook and I bake. And so when, I, when I'm able to do that and to see the smile on their face, when I'm able to cook for my mom and she's just loving what I cook for her, yes, it strokes my ego, right? We all have an ego. And so it strokes my ego. But more importantly, that was me showing them my love, that I took the time and they value that in that way, that like you said, I was able to pour love into that dish, pour love and put it onto a plate, love on a, put love on a plate and serve it to them. And so for me, I get so much gratification, so much satisfaction by cooking a good meal, serving it and my family, enjoying it. And then it also just allows us to come to the table and have a conversation with each other. Like so many great memories are created over food. And for me, it's all, it means all of that. And I just, there's something about it. Like I, I've had moments where I've had a rough day, things have gone haywire. And my wife, you know, back in the day, my wife would come home from work and she would see the kitchen, just a mess. <laughs> and she'd see all the baking stuff out. She goes, oh, it's one of those days. And I'm like, yep. It's one of those days, you know, but even now, sometimes I just say, no, I just want to cook. I want to cook for you all, right? Because they enjoy my cooking and I enjoy cooking for them. And, and I never heard it explained that way, honey, that it's a love language. And so maybe that's why it's so special to me, because it allows me to just really show my love in a completely different way. I can say I love you a hundred times in a day. But when I cook you a really good meal and we have a great bottle of wine and we just enjoy time as a family. I didn't just tell you I loved you. I actually showed you that I love you. Yeah, absolutely. So Jason, definitely cooking is your love language, I tell you. <laughs> absolutely. And cooking builds connection. I'm taking another takeaway here. It is also a way to connect. We are towards the end of the discussion and let's go back where we started. In the beginning, you shared that as a child, you wanted to be, a success. You wanted to be successful. Now, if we look after so many years where you are, 
what does success means to you now and what do you think about it where you have reached in your journey of air force and speaking first and foremost success is not a destination right yeah. it's this is a continuous journey uh, i think the only place that we arrive is is the final point the final resting point so until i get to that point there's more work to be done you know what i say is is that we all get issued a date of birth and we all get issued a dash in between the day that we no longer exist in the world as we know it and for me the number one question that i'll ask myself is what did i do with my dash how did i honor the time and the dash that was given to me and so success, yes, some people want to define it by money. Some people want to define it by accolades, awards, and things of that nature. And so, sure, by some people's definition, I'm considered very successful. I've achieved a level of success in the military that I'm humbled by. I've worked with some of the best people in the world in my experience there. I've achieved a level of success by being a commercial airline pilot, flying planes all around the world. Um, and, and that's something that a lot of people strive for. And I'm super grateful for the opportunity to do that. You know, I've been married almost 18 years. I have a beautiful family, a loving family. And for some, that's considered success. You know, I have a successful speaking business, have a lot of fun with my clients, and I'll continue to grow and build that and scale that out and do some amazing things with that. And for me, what I say, number one, is that my presence is my activism. And so I'm always striving to make certain that I'm present when and where I'm supposed to be present. And when I do it a speaking engagement, if I impact only one person, then it was successful. And so I'm not choosing to define success as some people might define it. Choosing, I'm not choosing to define success by a number or anything like that. I am choosing to continue to define my success as making an impact. And so for that, yes. I continue to be successful at making an impact, but that continues to drive me to do more and drive me to continue to work towards being more successful with more impact. And if I do that, the other things will happen. Yeah. So yes, have I been successful so far? Absolutely. How much more success is in me? That's yet to be determined because it's all about impact and making the world a better place, one person, one speech at a time. Yes, absolutely. This is work in progress. No doubt about it. So, Jason, we have learned so much from your story today uh, about your personal life, about your Air Force life, and now uh, you are on stages impacting lives all across the world. Uh, thank you so much. Honey, last word from you to Jason. I think, Jason, uh, it was really wonderful meeting you, knowing you beyond the methodology which you share in the world. Yeah. And one thing that I would like to share with all our audience members that don't just say things, act on them. And I think Jason, you have uh, been the best leading example at doing it on a daily basis, at the dinner table with your people, with your family, with everyone that you're connecting with to bring that impact to life. And I think to me, it was really an amazing experience to connect with you, to build that connect and like in this 40 minute that we could have from you. And I'm very sure audience gonna love meeting this side of Jason, knowing this side of Jason and 
looking forward to more of the no fail trust and no fail ownership the way you have that for methodology and approach of working thank you so much jason it was our pleasure to host you and we would definitely want you to see you for some uh, dinner or lunch when we are in us together yes yes that would be fantastic and thank you all it's it's an honor and a pleasure and i really am humbled and definitely appreciate the opportunity to be here and make this connection and spend this time with you guys so thank you so much